Good evening. It is good to worship together. It is good to worship with you tonight. We're going to get started tonight with uh, an activity around our tables. Um, and if you are feeling like you're all is well, all is well. If you're feeling like you're at a table that doesn't have many people, you're welcome to move. Or if you're fine just being a small group, that's fine. Because we'll have a little bit of discussion here and there, okay? So feel free to move wherever you need to. Um, Kara and her elves, I believe, are passing out papers. And eventually, you're going to take this green page. But while they're doing that, I'm just going to introduce myself briefly for those of you I haven't had the chance to meet. So my name is Laura. And I'm on staff here at Salem Alliance. I've been on staff for, I think, 10 years now in several different capacities um, in the area of worship and now the area of spiritual formation. So um, this church is near and dear to me. I have been attending here for, I don't know, since 89, whatever the math is on that, okay? Um, My husband and I got married on this stage. I did a lot of ministry here in this room. First time I ever led worship here at Salem Alliance was right there at Hearts at Home when I was pregnant with my 15-year-old son um, named Travis, who is now a big man. Um, I also have a daughter who is a senior in high school, which feels very surreal, really awesome, and really weird all at the same time. Um, So been married to my husband, Nate, for 22 years, believe it or not. Woohoo! And I still like him like 80% of the time. <laughs> That's not bad, right? Not bad. Um, so I'm thrilled to get to be here with you tonight and talk about just one of my absolute favorite topics. Um, we're going to do that in a variety of different ways tonight. The first way is you're going to take a test, okay? So you need the green sheet. Does everybody have a green sheet? And I'm going to walk you through it first, and then I'm going to let you talk about it at your tables. You're just going to share a little bit with each other. Green sheet, it's a test, but not one that will ever be graded. And you do not have to get the right answer because there is no such thing on this test. Raise your hand if you need a green sheet. Anybody? You're good? Okay. Cool. So you're going to look at these statements and rate yourself. Okay, is this statement true about me for the most part? That would be a three. I often feel this way. A two would mean, eh, sometimes, and a one would be like, nah, that's not really me. Does that make sense? Okay, one is a low score here. I'm going to walk you through it. Give it your gut response, okay? First one, just being outside, enjoying nature, dramatically increases my awareness of God. Gut response. One, two, or three. Okay. Next one has um, lots of typos because I was in a hurry. So I'm going to read it the way I think it should sound. I am often moved by artistry. Stop there. It speaks to the work of the creator in each of us. And worship for me is most powerful when it includes the senses, sights, sounds, smells. Rate yourself on that one. Next, am I going too fast? You good? Okay. Next one, I am fed by rituals, symbols, and traditional expressions of the faith. And the goal here is not to give yourself a three on every single one, okay? (laughs) I promise. That would ruin the entire point, okay? Okay, next. I want nothing more than to be left alone in prayer with nothing to distract me. Silence and simplicity are my spiritual friends. Next, I am wired by God to courageously come against evil and rally for good. Next one is I feel closest to God, most joy-filled and alive when I'm serving, volunteering, or helping someone. I don't simply want to know concepts about God. I want to experience them, feel them, be moved by them, and I am comfortable expressing my emotion to God. Singing, even dancing, clapping, etc., with others is an important part of my worship. Next, I enjoy basking in the warmth of God's love and spending extended time simply delighting in God's presence. Lastly, I love God best by using my mind to learn about him. 
I need my mind to be stirred before my heart can come truly alive. Okay, the numbers were just a starting place, but will you pick one or two of those that best describes you, okay? And then you're just going to go around the table and share what that is. And if you have a really quick, like, why that is or what that looks like for you, you're welcome to add that on, but make it quick, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, and, what, and like I said, you can move around if you, if you see a table that you like better. Okay, go. Okay, countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7. You know the drill. Well done, ladies. Wrap it up. Zip it up. Shut it. Can I say that? If Kara Brown can say what she says, I can say whatever I want to say. Um, one of the things I love about these kinds of events and what I love about Salem Alliance, I, I don't think I could go to a church that wasn't multi-generational and multi-other stuff, too. I mean, we're just a room full of all kinds of people. Our youngest lady is Miss Caitlin over there. She is nine. How cool is that? And I'm not... Yeah. I, I asked her permission to point her out. Um, I'm not going to point out the oldest. That would... Yeah, you know, you just don't do that. We have, a, we have a gentleman over here, a young, young gentleman, yes. Yeah. We have the loud table and the, no, you two together. <laughs> what was I thinking? And we do have guests as well from Foothills and Staten, a couple ladies joining us. So the body of Christ is just beautiful especially when it looks like this in all of its variety. So anyway, I'm going to start with a question for you. You can put the green sheets aside for now. We're going to come back to them later. If you, need to, if you want to take notes, you're welcome to use the back or whatever um, if you're a note taker. But I'm going to take a seat in this chair, and I'm going to ask you a question that you don't have to tell anyone, actually. This is between you and you, okay? Um, that means you have to be completely honest, though. So I'm sitting in my chair. This probably represents something to you, Right? Um, and I want you to ask yourself, what is your gut reaction to this scene right here? Okay, and I'm going to throw out some ideas, some words that you might be feeling. One could be guilt. I haven't done that in a long time, and I should. One could be jealousy. If only I had the time. I wish. Another could be deep fondness, like that is my, this is my place to meet God. Um, Another one could be cynicism. Uh, Yeah, every good Christian says they do this. Yeah, right. Um, Another one could be uh, disappointment or frustration, like I've tried that. It doesn't work for me. Um, last one I'll throw out there would be just dislike. Like, I hate sitting and reading. I just don't like it. Okay, and you might have come up with some other ones, but gut reaction. Because today's, or tonight's question is, does the Bible really say that you have to have a quiet time? And I listened to the podcast from last month, Jennifer Teaching, and if you were here, she gave a quiz with some commonly known phrases. The question was, does the Bible really say? And if you were here, you guys kind of went through the quiz together, and um, with many of them, you said, okay, so verbatim or content-wise, right? So tonight, this question, does the Bible really say, thou shalt get up every morning, sit in a chair with your Bible, and pray? I haven't found the verse yet, okay? If you find it, let me know. So verbatim, no. But what does the Bible say about how we spend time with God? We're going to spend this evening just asking that question together, okay? So I'm going to start with two verses, and um, I'm just going to throw them out there. One is from the Psalms, David, and please get comfortable. Um, You're going to be kind of looking at me for a while. I apologize. But um, first verse, Psalm 119, and this um, psalm itself is quite lengthy, It's pages long, and it's David pouring out his heart to God about how much he loves God's word. And one of the verses says, verse 97, on your word, I meditate 
day and night. Okay, just think about that for a second. Day and night. Then Paul, in uh, the New Testament, uh, 1 Thessalonians, he says this phrase that I'm guessing you've heard, and it goes like this, pray without ceasing. Okay, just take those two verses and sit with them for a second, and then hold them against this scene. And have a couple thoughts. First of all, this scene is too small. It's too narrow. If you just hold them against those two verses, this is pretty limited, isn't it? And my other thought is, those two verses are daunting, overwhelming at times. I say, how do I do that? Day and night, pray without ceasing. What does that look like? So my first question to us is, how did we get from the words of David and Paul to this, this is what it's supposed to look like? Okay, how do we even get there in the first place? I'm going to throw out an analogy that might be helpful. The analogy is of meal planning, okay? And I'm not going to stereotype us that because we're females that we're always responsible for feeding everyone in our home. No, all human beings have to do some form of meal planning, right? You have to plan what you're going to eat, okay? But because we are females, in some cases, that means we have other people to feed, okay? So I'm going to pick on, I'd like to know who has the most kids in this room, okay? So raise, I'm not going to pick on you, I promise. I'm just going to use you for my analogy. Um, raise your hand if you have three or more kids, okay? Uh, hands down, a four or more as we go here, okay? Five or more. Oh, yeah, my mom's here. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> um, that's right, I'm, I'm one of five. Um, six, anybody? Okay, how many kids do you have? All right, and what is your name? Shayla. How many of your kids are at home? Okay, and are you semi-responsible for making sure that they eat? Okay, so I'm going to use Shayla if you don't mind. Here's my analogy. So Shayla finds herself a little bit overwhelmed or daunted by the task of meal planning, okay? And I'm going to make up a story for you. This may not be your story, but anyway. So Shayla, for years, has had to figure out how to feed these six children, right? Day after day, three meals a day, and her, you know, her husband. So a friend comes to her at one point and says, I have the plan. I've found it. This has changed my life. Here's this meal planning system. You get this grocery list. You go to the grocery store. Huge list. They make it for you. Then you go home and you cook for hours. And then you put it in the freezer and you have like 20 meals. And it lasts forever. It has changed my life. Okay, so this friend is serious. It really has changed her meal planning life. So Shayla, she says, well, I've got to try it. I mean, why wouldn't I? I'm frustrated. I'm going to give it a try. She gives it a try. One of two things happens. A, it really works for her. B, she says, this is not working. So if the first scenario happens, it works for her. She's probably going to tell all her friends too. This works. It has changed my life. You have to do it. And most likely, she's not doing it exactly like her friend did it. She's making minor tweaks to it for her particular family and situation. Okay? Move to the other scenario. It doesn't work for her. A couple of responses. One could be, she says to herself, well, that must mean I'm a failure. It works for everyone else. I'm going to keep doing it anyway, even though it really doesn't fit me. Okay? Or she could say, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to try something different. See where I'm going with this a little bit? Okay, how did we get here? Well, the body has to eat, doesn't it? So we have to have some sort of meal planning system, whether it's running through the drive-thru or going to the grocery store and cooking every meal. There is some sort of system for all of us, okay? Because your body has to eat. And I would say to you tonight, your soul has to eat. It's a non-negotiable, just like your body. And for some of us, this has worked. It has changed our lives. We want to tell everybody, do it. And for some of us, we've tried it. It doesn't work. Okay? So I would propose to you, that's how we got from the words of David to this scene right here. 
Next question for you. If the bottom line is that our souls have to be fed, then what is the food of the soul? And I'm guessing that some answers pop to your mind right away, especially if you've been in church for very long. But one of the goals of this series, does the Bible really say, is for us to return to the Bible, to check our answers, to affirm what we think we already know, or to reteach or relearn. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to kind of start from square one, all right? So the scripture I'm going to go to first, and you're welcome to turn there, but you don't need to, is John 6. And this particular story about Jesus is when uh, he fed the multitudes. He took a small basket of food and turned it into food for thousands. And people were amazed. They couldn't believe what he had done, and so they wanted more. So they were following him. They were looking for him. Everywhere he went, they were following him. So Jesus needed to get away. That night, his uh, escape route was walking across water, of course, and so he got away to where they couldn't follow him. But they found him the next day. And here's what he said to them. John chapter 6. I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So this analogy that I used of meal planning, it's not mine, actually. I stole it from the Word of God. It's found all through the Scripture. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to have you do some of the work here. You have a golden rod, if you will, sheet with some scriptures on it. And at your tables, what I would like you to do is um, together, maybe take turns going around uh, the tables, reading each scripture one at a time. The question is, according to this scripture, what is food for the soul? Okay? You're going to find a word or a phrase in each passage that kind of gives a definition for us. Okay, Circle it, underline it, discuss it. Um, this should be pretty quick, but you're going to do it together. Okay, Read them out loud, talk about them. Then, at the end, would you kind of summarize your responses? If your table could say, what is food for the soul, what would you, what would you call that? Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Go for it. So pick somebody to start and just dive right in. I'm going to ask a couple tables to give their response. We'll see if we agree here in this room. Uh, Mary Howell's table, do you guys have a summary word or statement for us? Cool. Word of God spoken with his love into our hearts. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this table right here with Jen, Roth, and Laisha and the rest of you alls. Okay, word of God. Um, one more table, and then, and then I'll open it up to see if there's any other answers. How about the back table with Melanie? Okay, any other answers? Yeah. Cool. Listening, experiencing, getting to know God. And then, did I see a hand over here? Cool. Yep. So here's, here's how I'd like to summarize it, if you will allow me. Um, and you can argue with me if you want. Could we say spiritual food is God himself and his word, which is spoken and written? Is that a fair statement? Am I missing anything? Yeah. Through his Holy Spirit. Yes, I will not argue with that one. Okay. Um, so interestingly enough, as I, I am not a theologian, but as Jen told you, there are some great tools online. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I won't say the same, but cause I can't remember. <laughs> Woo! Oh, that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God himself and his word that is spoken and written through his Holy spirit. I like it. Oh. It's all as long as you're okay. Yeah, it's all good. Um, okay. Oh, 
these verses, as I was looking them up, um, there's this great website called, I think it's blueletterbible.com, where you can look up the meaning of the Hebrew or the Greek. So I went through some of these to see where it says the word of God, what was it referring to? Many of these, it was referring to the spoken word of God. Some of these, it was the written word of God. For instance, David in Psalm 119, because that's what he's talking about, right? So I would like to refer to the written and spoken word, as well as God's presence tonight as we talk about this, okay? And it sounds like we're in agreement, because I see some lots of heads. Okay, awesome. So next question, if that's our spiritual food, what does it look like to feed on this, okay? And I want to look at Jesus as our example, because he's a good one. Um, and I want to point out three things about his life that I think that we, we need to notice. One, he loved the written word of God. He loved the law. In Luke 2, it said, as a child, he went to the temple. He learned. He discussed. He grew in wisdom and stature. And then in his ministry life, he taught the word. He taught the law. Matthew 5 and 6, Sermon on the Mount. He said, I have not come to get rid of the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And he went on to teach these amazing things that helped people to not be so narrow about what the written word needed to mean. But he said, um, you have heard it said, don't kill each other. I say, don't be angry at each other. Settle your disputes. He said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't lust. The law is so much bigger than you are making it. He loved the law. He defended the law, the written word of God. He taught it. So that's the first thing I want you to notice about Jesus and his life. Secondly, he spent time with God. God was his food. And here are a couple verses to remind us. Just a couple. There's a lot of them. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He fed on the presence of his father over and over again. And thirdly, he listened to the voice of God. John 12 says, for I didn't speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. He listened to God, the spoken word. So we get to be like Jesus, right? We are Christ followers, his disciples. And I think sometimes when we talk about being like Jesus, I don't know if you do this, but I think, well, yeah, I'll try, but he was perfect, but he was divine, true. He was also human, and he came to show us what it looks like to be a human who feeds on God and his word. And when he left, he didn't say to his disciples, try to be like me, good luck, right? He didn't say anything like that. He said things like, the Father and I are one, you and I are one, so remain in me. And then you're going to do even greater things that I'm going to do. Like, that's not a good luck statement. That's like, you're going to do this. And then he said, the way it's going to work is I'm going to leave you my spirit. Your spirit is going to, my spirit's going to be in you. My spirit's going to guide you into all truth. My spirit is going to remind you of the things that I have said. That's the spoken voice of God to us, his spirit in us. Paul kept that teaching going in uh, 1 Corinthians. Don't you know that you are the temple of the spirit of the living God? And then he said earlier in that same, uh, in 1 Corinthians, this is what we speak, not the words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. So the spirit is a spoken word of God to our spirits. Okay, so I'm going to take a break here. And just summarize real quick, I believe our souls need to be fed. We all agreed spiritual food is God himself, his word spoken and written, and Jesus showed us what it looks like. And yet, 
We still haven't answered this question, like, really, what does it look like, okay? So we're going to pause, and we're going to look into the lives of three women, three very different women, just kind of get some of their thoughts and their perspectives. And I think the first woman is looking for her microphone or looking for the person who runs the microphone. (laughs) Hey, what the heck? So let me tell you about this first woman. What you're going to hear is uh, words written by one of our international workers who was on a retreat that was led by our very own Steve Fowler. And Steve Fowler invited them all to go have a quiet time. Okay? And this was her response. And she's really loud, so she could probably just come on up here and go for it. I have a really hard time doing this alone. Everyone says I must have a quiet time alone with you. Why? Why must there be quiet time ever? Ever. It just doesn't seem to be how you wired me. I spent my entire life feeling like a spiritual failure because I don't fit into this ideal spiritual box. I'm easily distracted. I just want to shout out. I don't like silence. It echoes loudly in my ears. I want freedom to be excited, to use passionate words to describe my relationship with you. I want to feel your presence and your overwhelming love. I want to feel your passion, justice, mercy, and compassion. And in a quiet place, I don't feel anything like that. I feel alone and isolated. I feel like everyone else does this quiet time thing way better than me. I know lots of people who sit alone, write in their journals, read their Bibles, and feel you. I don't even remember to keep a journal until right now. Attempting to do this the right way. Again, it's just really hard. I just want to shout in this quiet room. Where's the music? Where's the dancing? Where's the wailing? Where's the sadness? Where's your flood of grace and mercy that is to be flowing down over me? Where's your thunder? Where's your wild love? So I'm sitting here, and I want to hear from you, God. I want to feel you. I want your presence to be so real that I don't just simply sense it. I want to undoubtedly know it. The chaos in my mind is wild, very wild. It can completely overwhelm me as my thoughts keep running over each other, tumbling through my brain as if it were being spun out on the final spin cycle of a washing machine. Oh, shoot, the washing machine. Distracted. Okay. Who brings our chaos back into order? So much chaos in my life. Do I love it? Or am I just so used to it that I cling to it, even when you desire order for me? I feel like order... Calmness, predictability, and silence are what make a quiet time a quiet time. I want to meet you. I want to know you. I just can't do it in a dark closet all alone. Not with my racing mind, desire for noise, voices, people, 
passion, and exuberance. Why can I scream loudly at a concert, but dare not do that, or use that kind of passion and drive in a worship service to praise you? Why do I feel like my spiritual best must be found in silence and solitude? Why did you make me a creature of emotion and passion who loves to be with people, if that is only for fellowship? And even then, I shouldn't get too crazy. I don't want charismatic prayer and worship for the sake of charisma. I want a connection with you. And I want to be who you made me and not apologize or be embarrassed because I'm passionate and I'm loud and I raise my hand when I worship. I want to stop feeling like a prickly peg trying to fit into a perfect spiritual round hole. I want to be part of your plan to raise up an army of prickly people who desperately need you and all of your passion and all of your mercy and all of your grace and find themselves transformed and then turn around freely and passionately to pass on those same gifts that you gave me. God, your love is wild. It's crazy, it's messy, and it's beautiful. Please help me to live in that. Our next character is fictional. She's not a woman, she's a girl. Anne with an E, Anne of Green Gables. And I thought I marked this. Yeah, I know, Sarah and I were talking about this. Okay, I can find this. I marked it and I lost it. So this is the point in the story at the beginning where Anne doesn't know yet that she's going to be um, adopted. And Marilla, her future adopting lady, whatever you call those, um, she is assessing the situation to see if Anne is a heathen, okay? And this is how it goes. Uh, Say your prayers now and get into bed. I never say any prayers, announced Anne. Marilla looked horrified, astonished. Why, Anne, what do you mean? Were you never taught to say your prayers? God always wants little girls to say their prayers. Don't you know who God is, Anne? God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, responded Anne promptly and glibly. Marilla looked rather relieved. So you do know something, thank goodness. You're not quite a heathen. Where did you learn that? Oh, at the Asylum Sunday School. They made us learn the whole catechism. I liked it pretty well. There's something splendid about some of those words, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Isn't that grand? It has such a role to it, just like a big organ playing. You couldn't quite call it poetry, I suppose, but it sounds a lot like it, doesn't it? We're not talking about poetry, Anne. We're talking about saying your prayers. Don't you know, it's a terrible, wicked thing not to say your prayers every night. I'm afraid you are a very bad little girl. Well, you'd find it easier to be bad than good if you had red hair, said Anne reproachfully. (laughs) People who haven't red hair don't know what trouble is. Mrs. Thomas told me that God made my hair red on purpose, and I've never cared about him since. And anyhow, I'm always too tired at night to bother saying my prayers. So Marilla decided that Anne's religious training must begin at once. Plainly, there was no time to be lost. You must say your prayers while you're under my roof, Anne. Why, of course, if you want me to, assented Anne cheerfully. I'd do anything to oblige you, but you'll have to tell me what to say for this once. After I get into bed, I'll imagine out a really nice prayer to say always. I believe that it will be quite interesting now, now that I come to think of it. Marilla says you must kneel down. Anne knelt at Marilla's knee and looked up gravely. Why must people kneel to to pray? If I really wanted to pray, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go out into a big field all alone. 
or into the deep, deep woods, and I'd look up into the sky, up, 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 into that lovely blue sky that looks as if there's no end to its blueness. And then I'd just feel a prayer. Well, I'm ready. What am I to say? Marilla felt more embarrassed than ever. She had intended to teach Anne the child uh, classic, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, but she, as I have told you, had the glimmerings of a sense of humor, which is simply another name for a sense of the fitness of things, and it suddenly occurred to her that this simple little prayer sacred to white-robed, childhood, lisping, freckled witch of a girl who knew and cared nothing about God's love, since she had never had it translated to her through the medium of human love. You're old enough to pray for yourself, Anne, she said finally, just Thank God for your blessings and ask him humbly for the things you want. Well, I'll do my best, promised Anne, burying her face in Marilla's lap. Gracious Heavenly Father, that's the way the ministers say it in church, so I I suppose it's all right in private prayer, isn't it? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank thee for the white way of delight and the lake of shining waters and Bonnie and the Snow Queen. I'm really extremely grateful for them. That's all the blessings I can think of just now to thank thee for. As for the things I want, they're so numerous that it would take a great deal of time to name them all, so I will only mention the two most important. Please, let me stay at Green Gables. And please, let me be good-looking when I grow up. (laughs) I remain yours respectfully, Anne Shirley. The wisdom of Anne. We have a third woman that we're going to look into the life of. Our own Katie Davis is going to come share some of her own journal writings. It's really hard for me to get here and slow down enough to just be with you. I mean, you're with me all the time and I see you around me in nature. I know that you're with me when I'm driving and when I'm yelling at my kids. But for me to actually get here, it's hard. It's like my brain doesn't slow down enough to remember that I, you know, I need to go deep with you sometimes. I'm not sure how to fight for myself today. I'm not even sure what weapons I have. Bare feet and wild eyes, hands clenched and heart grasping. My breath comes in grass, gasps like a fish. Heart pounding, head pounding, and I look up and I can see you. Just a glimpse of you and a glimpse of your robe, your garment peeking out of the clouds. And I just want to ask you, like, why are you in the sky? (laughs) I'm stuck here on earth, legs rooted in the ground. Where are my wings so I can be with you where you are? Having done all, have I done all? How do I know? I'm wearing myself out. I can feel the strain. My lungs, they fill with fire to breathe, and my eyes sting with smoke. Ashes in my hair. Come rescue me, Savior. Come in with the flood but don't drown me. You know that game where um, you take two tin cans and you poke holes in them and you stick a string between them and you can talk in one end and the other person can listen and uh, I always loved that. And, um, but you had to be really pretty close to, to make that work. You couldn't be like across the neighborhood. You had to kind of be in the same yard. I just want to be tin can close with you. I know I want to know what you're saying quickly, but I also close enough to see the look in your eye when you say it. The inflection of your voice would be nice too, but I know that just hearing you is not enough. It's enough to make my knees weak and my heart leap, and it's enough to make me forget the rest. If I can just be close enough, sometimes I worry that someone will, you know, cut the thread between us. Something will. But you remind me that you've got a whole spool. Can we hold hands sometimes? Or even closer still, can you whisper in my hair and I can hear you? 
I'm learning that not every day is a lover's day. I'll be all right as long as I can still hear you, as long as I can see you. I know that you are good. I've seen your goodness in the land of the living, in the land where I live. I know you are good. I don't doubt your goodness, yet I'm tired. Heart weary, hands weary, mind weary, drawing close to you. If I can, trusting that strength will come as I wait. Silencing the noise, trying to get the distractions to be gone, and I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of just being here when I get here. The choice to live, hope for tomorrow, anxiety ceasing, eyes closing, heart resting, my hands still, peace coming. When my eyes open, I see your truth. So don't forget me. Don't pass me, gentle Savior, hear my cry. While on others thou art calling, please don't pass me by. My hands are tired. Don't pass me by. My hands are skillful. Please stay with me. Ever too prideful or too humble. Not enough courage, too much faith. I'm always wondering if salvation is coming, even though you've never proved otherwise. Do I doubt the ever faithful one? Admittedly, no and yes. <laughs> I doubt myself and my expectations. What are you asking of me? I don't know. How will you come? I'm afraid to know. Oh, to trust you. And trust for me equals being still and waiting. But stillness is not a becoming place for me. There's not enough cover. But, of course, you see it. You see me, and you don't pass me by. Thanks, Katie. Three different stories. One of somebody who can't sit still, and that's okay. One of somebody who just feels prayer and one of somebody who pours out their raw, deepest thoughts in a journal. This room is full of different women, different ways of hearing God, of meeting God, of hearing his word written and spoken. My encouragement to you tonight is to find out what your scene is, to let go of any expectation that comes with this. Go to the root why this exists, not how, okay? And then discover what it looks like for you. I am totally running out of time, and so I'm going to condense. I'm going to go a teeny bit late, if that's okay. If you have kids you need to grab, please do it. Um, and then, Volanda, if we can do one song at the end, that would be great. Um, a couple more things I just want to say to you. Um, I'm not going to get back to the green sheets, but I will just tell you those um, nine things that you rated yourself on, they came from some great books, um, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas and What's Your God Language by Myra Perrine. Um, same topic and content, just opening up for us that there are so many different ways to relate to God. And they kind of summarize them in nine. I would say there are thousands and millions, and this is a starting place, okay? Um, really quick, I want to share a little bit of my personal journey with um, how I relate to God. Um, and I'm going to do it in three little seasonal chunks. The first chunk would be my upbringing. Great home, great church. And I'm not just saying that because my mommy's here. Um, but I was taught to love the word. I was taught to do this in church, in my home. And I value that. Um, but then I hit someplace in adulthood, and I, I would sit and do this, and I'd be like, it, this is dry. Something was just kind of losing the life and the luster and the growth, and I had a season where I had to wrestle. Like, this is not working for me anymore. This meal plan is not working, and I don't know why. And there was that guilt, and there was that, I got to do it, you know? Um, 
So um, I would call that a season of wrestling. And then hit a season of turmoil where um, some events in my life caused me to reel like I've never reeled before. And you know what happens then? You cry out to God, and you realize how desperate you are. And for me, it looked like running, literally and spiritually. I was in a season where I was learning how to run and that I actually liked to do that, and I liked to move my body. Um, and so then I was outside, and I was running spiritually to God. God, I need you. I'm crying out for you to save me here. And it was in this season that I discovered my God language. And I, for years I had said, nobody really speaks my language. Nobody really gets me. But in these moments, outside, running, crying out to God, I began to hear him respond to me. For the first time, that spoken voice of God to my spirit, not audible, but to my spirit. And it was in the trees, and it was in the wind, and it was him in my mind giving me pictures that made sense to me and words that brought back the scriptures that I had learned as a child. I was like, this is prayer, not just me talking to God, but him responding to me opened up a whole new world for me. And I would call my God languages, um, if you go by the, these books, um, I'm a naturalist and I'm a contemplative. Love to be outside and I love to just soak in him. Um, fast forward to my current season. I would characterize it by lack of discipline, can't get off my butt to go running, okay? So a couple weeks ago, I realized, man, my, my soul feels kind of yucky. Like, I, oh, I'm not feeding my soul. Oh, the effects of that are I'm cranky. I feel off kilter. Um, because I'm not getting off my butt and going outside to my natural place, I'm literally not feeding my soul right now, which was ironic that I get to talk to you about this tonight, right? Um, and guess where I'm back to? I'm back in that chair. And it's good. Because I need some discipline right now in this season of my life. I need to sit with the word. And it's not every morning at 5.30. Sometimes it's 6.30 in my bathtub for 10 minutes or whatever. But this has been good to get back to. So a couple of observations I'd like to make to you. One would be, Discovering your God language can open up that voice, the Spirit of God speaking to your spirit. And I would encourage you to ask yourself, how is it that I best connect with God? Where is it? What does that look like? What is my scene here? Okay? Two, from my experience, there's an interplay between discipline and authentic God language stuff. Okay? I would love to just be free and go running and be in nature all the time, and that's how I spend time with God. But I'm learning I also need discipline, okay? Knowing that I'm going to get into the Word, knowing that there's a rhythm to my life, or else what happens is what's been happening to me, okay? Three, I had a third point. And I, oh, seasons of your life. We have different seasons that look really, really different. When you have little kids, Figuring out how to spend time with God looks a lot different than it does for me with kids in high school, and a lot different than it does for my mom, who only has one at home instead of five. Um, so notice the seasons of your life, um, not just the circumstantial seasons, but emotional. Um, like I said, I have motivation, and then I have laziness over here. So pay attention to those and respond to them, and don't this is how I've always done it, and this is how we always do it as Christians, so this is how I'm going to do it. Watch for seasons in your life. Um, okay, lastly. So this analogy of meal planning. I have good news for you. Um, the analogy breaks down, actually, at a certain point, because meal planning, unless you're re super rich and you have a chef, a personal chef who lives with you, you're responsible for meal planning, right? You make it happen. Guess what? The meal planning for your soul has been done. There is no shopping. There is no preparing. There is no cooking. The feast has been prepared for you. And I'm going to go to two passages quickly to tell you why I believe this. The first one is Luke 14. 
16 to 20. And Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. He says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I'm going to stop there in the passage and just note, these sound like really good excuses to me, right? Financial, you know, smart business decisions. I just got married. And yet, they're missing the feast that had been prepared for them. You and I have some pretty good excuses, don't we? And yet, you're missing. A feast. I have been missing a feast. Okay, my last scripture for you. Isaiah 55. It says pretty much the same thing. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. You have been invited to a feast that has been prepared for you. All you have to do is pull up to the table. Discover what that looks like for you. Add some discipline to that so that it actually happens. And feast on the word of God, on his presence, on his written word, his spoken word. Thanks for letting me share tonight from my story and my heart and... Katie and Kara, would you stand? And I want to pray a prayer of blessing, and then we're going to sing together one song as a close. Our good Heavenly Father, the one who has prepared a feast for us, I bless these women with... um, Just a picture of what that looks like, that invitation. Um, You would give them a sense of how wanted they are at that table. I bless these women with new discoveries of how they meet with you. I bless their ears and their souls with the ability to hear you through your written and your spoken word. And I bless them with nourishment that can only come from you, our bread of life. Amen.